Tis the season of wonderful Christmas music and Hallmark Christmas movies. How many of you are quietly a fan of Hallmark Christmas movies? It's okay to admit it. There were a lot of people in the first service. There were lots of Hallmark Christmas movie fans. So you were in good, uh, you were in good company if you like a good Hallmark Christmas movie. So I have this idea that I thought I might pitch to the makers, the Hollywood producers that produce these Hallmark Christmas movies. Picture this. A woman falls in love with a man. What do you think? Good so far? All right, and, and since times are tough in their small town, they make their way to a bigger city in another region to, to try and make a living there. And, and life is, is good for a while. They have a couple of boys, but then, then the father, the, the husband, gets sick and dies of, of an illness. But the family holds together, and and the two boys, they've been raised well. They're old enough to, to get jobs and, and to help support their mom. And they, they hold together. And the boys, they, they find women and, and they get married. And the, the family, it's, it's looking to grow again. And life is full again for a short time. But this is a Hallmark movie and we're not out of the first hour yet. So we learn that the pandemic still rages. And both of the sons pass away, leaving their mom in a foreign place with two daughters-in-law to try and care for and really no prospects for work because of the economy, no way to provide for each other. The mother-in-law decides that the only real hope is, is to return home, that maybe someone there will take pity on them and, and care for them. And so she tells the daughters-in-law, why don't you go back to your own families? You, there's, you're young, there's still life ahead for you. Um, I'm going to go back to, to my hometown where my family was and, and try and, and find a way there. And one of the daughters-in-law says yes and, and leaves. But the other one, the other one in a truly hallmark moment says, no, no. No, where you go, I will go. And your people are going to be my people and my God. Your God will be my God. So the two of them, they return to the mother's hometown. And the reception there is lukewarm. People remember the mother-in-law. They, they remember who she is. But because her grief is so great, they just kind of, they just kind of keep their distance no one immediately takes them in or provides for them. But the daughter-in-law, the daughter-in-law loves her, her now mother, and she's going to take care of her. And so she goes into town every, every day. It's not even her hometown, but she goes in to provide for her mother-in-law, and she, just, she takes whatever leftovers she can find in the community that they can put on their table to make ends meet. Her efforts, they catch the eye of a of a landowner, of a, of a owner of a small farm in the, in the area, and, and he admires her and, and kind of watches from afar, and he, he tells his workers just to, to leave a little bit extra in their leftovers for her to take so that she can provide for her family. Eventually, with the blessing of the mother-in-law, the daughter-in-law meets this man that she's also been admiring from afar, and they, they sit down and they tell each other their stories, and they fall in love. 
by now some of you have figured out this is not my story to pitch to Hallmark. It's a Bible story. It is the story of Ruth and her mother-in-law, Naomi. And some of you may know how this story ends. Ruth and the man that was providing for her from his farm, Boaz, they indeed get married. And they have a son, and they name their son Obed. And Obed has a son and names his son Jesse. And Jesse has a son and names his son David, and that becomes King David. And as we think about our Advent adventures, I wonder if you've guessed where this story of Naomi and Ruth and Boaz takes place. Bethlehem. The story takes place in Bethlehem. Bethlehem is our last stop today before Christmas in our adventures to the places of Advent. Let's pray and then... Take a visit to Bethlehem today. Would you, would you pray with me? God, in these adventures of the past month at Clay Church, our, our hope has been to, to explore these places of the Advent and Christmas stories just to learn more about you, to deepen our own faith. So God, today as we visit Bethlehem, open our Open our eyes to see what you would have us see. Open our minds to learn what you would have us know. And open our hearts to fully comprehend this good news that comes in this place so that we might be ready to share it. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Bethlehem. Sleepy little village not far from Jerusalem. Sure, I think how do we understand Bethlehem? Uh, uh, maybe the best way would think, start thinking this way. How many of you are from a small town? Anybody from like a really small town? And when I, I say small town, as you think about that, uh, if any of you are from a small town, like the kind of town where everybody knows everybody, like where your parents find out things about you that, that you haven't told anybody because it went from, you know, your friend to their parent to, the, to a friend to, the, you know, everybody knows everybody. And everybody knows everybody's business, small town. Or maybe you might think of it this way, uh, a small town, you have to drive like 30 minutes to get anywhere for ice cream or movies or really to do anything fun. Anybody grow up in a, in a town like that? Or maybe, maybe this kind of town, oh, this was my kind of town, if you're driving by on the highway and, uh, and you blink at the one little exit to your town, uh, at, you, you'll completely, you won't even know you drove past that town. Anybody from that town? Or if not that one, maybe this one, um, this, your little small town, you drive in and it's 55 and then it goes to 45 and then 35 and then 25 downtown. Uh, anybody live in that town? And it's the kind of town where if you're not from there, you're driving through and you're like, why do I even have to slow down? There's nothing here. And while you're thinking that, the lights appear in the rearview mirror and you realize that while you were thinking about it, you weren't doing it. And then you realize that the reason you have to slow down is because if not, you are supporting the salary of the one policeman who is now pulling you over. Small town. Anybody from there? Okay. You get the idea of small town. If any of these are true of your hometown or, or you get the idea of the hometown, maybe minus the speed trap part, you, you get an idea of what Bethlehem was in relationship to the area around it. It was about six miles, six or seven miles from Jerusalem. Think like a, a half day's 
walk or so, maybe a little less than that. It was a, a place known, so it was a small town. It wasn't unknown, though. It was known for providing food, actually, for Bethlehem. It was an agricultural place. We know there was a spring there because in the story of King David, um, right, who was in the line of Ruth, King David was from there, and there's a story that he really wanted water from the well that was in Bethlehem while Jerusalem was under siege. And so he actually ends up, soldiers go out and they get water for him from the, from the well so that we know there was a water source, which is why in these rolling hills, which also get some shade, right, from the sun, it became a good place for, for agriculture, for, for growing, and for raising livestock with a water source there as well. Bethlehem first appears in the Bible in Genesis. It is uh, um, mentioned as Rachel is buried there. But as we visit Bethlehem today, we're going to take a look at Bethlehem from the perspective of the prophet Micah. If you want to follow along, we're going to turn to Micah chapter 5 and, and start at verse 2 in just a moment. Before we do that, a little context. Micah was a prophet, one who spoke the word of God, and specifically Micah spoke to the, the people of God, the, the people of Israel, during the, the time of the Assyrian invasion. And so Assyria had essentially surrounded the Holy Land. Part of it had already fallen. There was pressure. Um, people, some people had already been exiled. Um, and it was, it was a difficult time in the life of the kingdom. There are also internal changes happening within Israel at that time, within the, in Judah, within the, the, the culture of the people of God. Because before this, it had been essentially a, a bartering culture. When you needed something, you took what you had and you bartered to get whatever it was that you needed. It was goods for goods. But as this pressure came from outside empires, the leadership of the empire said, well, maybe, maybe we should look more like the rest of the people around us. And so they changed from a bartering system to essentially a, a monetary economy. So everything was now based on money for, for goods. And this meant that those who controlled the money controlled society. Much of Micah's message was, you said this is what you wanted. You wanted to look like the empires, but now you're living, just, you're living just like them. Your rulers are taking advantage of people. It was calling out the greed and the, the hypocrisy and, and how, how people were just being taken advantage of. While the poor suffered, couldn't even make ends meet, the rich just kept getting richer. And this is what Micah says earlier in the book. He says, its rulers give judgment for a bribe. Its priests teach for a price. Its prophets give oracles for money. Yet they lean upon the Lord and say, Surely the Lord is with us. No harm shall come upon us. It's into this oppression and inequity and inequality and injustice, this place where the people of God aren't living like the people of God. They're living just like the rest of the world it's into this land where the poor are suffering and the rich don't seem to really care. This is where Micah speaks. And this is what Micah says. Micah says, But you, Bethlehem Epaphratha, and Bethlehem Epaphratha, Epaphratha actually means fertile, gives the idea of, of Bethlehem, the fertile place. And uh, it's a way of denoting Bethlehem that is 
traditionally where we believe Jesus was born now, right by Jerusalem, from a Bethlehem in the, in the north around Galilee. It says, but you, Bethlehem Epaphratha, though you are small among the clans of Judah, out of you will come for me one who will be ruler over Israel, whose origins are from old, from ancient times. Right, notice this, this call out to Bethlehem of ancient times. Micah is talking to a people who would know their history of Bethlehem. They know what it meant to come from Bethlehem as King David came from Bethlehem. They likely knew the meaning of the place where they lived. Bethlehem, in Hebrew, in its Hebrew form, it literally means house of bread. In its Arabic form, it can be translated as house of meat. A couple of the commentaries I looked at said, as opposed to getting hung up on whether it means bread or it means meat, because those are two different things, think about it. What it really means in both languages is it's a house of provision. It's, it's what provides food for the table. Bethlehem was quite literally where food came from for the region. And it's quite likely where lambs came for the sacrifices that would be made in the temple. The farmers and shepherds in Bethlehem would provide the, the lambs for sacrifice. At the heart of God's message from the ancient history of Bethlehem, from the meaning of Bethlehem, is this God will provide. You may be suffering right now. Things may be difficult right now. But Micah says to those suffering, to those struggling, hang on because God will provide. Maybe not from the sources that you think, the, the powers that be, the political powers, the influence, but from an out-of-the-way place, from a clan that since the, the time of King David has been overlooked and marginalized, an unexpected place, but God will provide. And then Micah continues. It says, therefore Israel will be abandoned until the time when she who is in labor bears a son and the rest of his brothers return to join the Israelites. He will stand and shepherd his flock in the strength of the Lord, in the majesty of the name of the Lord his God, and they will live securely for then his greatness will reach to the ends of the earth. Micah is saying to the people, look, while corruption and greed and hypocrisy may rule the day right now, may be causing pain for you in the here and now, God will be true to God's promises. God will remain true to God's promises. It's worth noting the, the very first line that Micah speaks in this section. He says, therefore Israel will be abandoned. Micah names that there's going to be pain because of the actions of the people in this time. Right, so this promise of Micah, it's not a, a short-term promise. It's not that life is just going to get easier tomorrow. It's not just going to magically get, get better. That's not what this promise of Micah is. This is not a promise that life will be fair, that suddenly everybody's going to play by the same set of rules. That's not what Micah is promising. 
This is not a promise that if you believe in God, suddenly everything is going to get better. But this is a promise. This is a promise to those who are struggling and to those who are hurting and to those who feel like everything is stacked against them. This is a promise that says, you know what? God is at work, and God is going to work this out, and there will be in God's time justice, and there will be in God's time goodness. So hold on and have faith. This is a promise that says to those who are fed up and ready for change to hang on. God is at work through all things, and you can count on God to provide. As God provided with David, as God provided for David for God's kingdom, God will provide. And then Micah says this, and he, this ruler to come, he will be our peace. Now we hear these words and, and we know who Jesus is, but just for a moment, we're going to take ourselves back and put ourselves in the shoes of those who are living in this persecution and this struggle. And what they are hearing from Micah is that what you need to do when, when all hope seems lost is to, is to hang on because there will be a peace. And you can hang on to it right now by expecting my provision. You can know it right now in the midst of the upheaval, in the midst of the suffering, in the midst of the struggle. You can find peace in knowing that I am with you, that God is with you, and that I will meet your needs and provide for you. And the words, right, for us they point forward, but to them they point backward. They point back to Bethlehem. And it becomes this symbol of provision. This is where food comes from. This is where forgiveness for sins and the sacrifice of the lambs in the temple come from. This is where, this is where the shepherds would wrap the lambs, baby lambs, in, in swaddling cloth and put them in a manger so that they weren't blemished, so that they could be a sacrifice to take away the sins of, of the people. This is, this is where provision comes from. This space wasn't made special in any sense of the, of the world. This place is made special because of God's provision. Now we see these words and realize that God fulfills this promise for us in the person of Jesus. Right, they point us forward to Jesus, who calls himself the bread of life. All we need to sustain us. Who is called the Lamb of God, who will give his life so that we might know the depth of God's love and the grace God offers and the power of forgiveness ourselves. And we too can then realize this story isn't, right, we're, we're going to celebrate Christmas in big ways, but the reality is that the reality of this Christmas news doesn't come in 
lavish celebrations or, or over-the-top production. It comes in a family looking for a place to have a baby. And yeah, we've read the Christmas story so many times, it's easy for us to see that there was no room for them in the inn. But sometimes that causes us to miss that even while there was no room in the inn, God provided a place in Bethlehem to have that baby. And, and this birth came to a simple family, not in a lavish hotel room or some great hospital, but in the midst of life in the community in a, in a stable where the animals were there to provide for the family. We're invited to hold on to this same truth, right, that God will provide in the day-to-day, in ways expected, in ways unexpected. And even more, in Micah's invitation, we're invited, no matter how hard life is right now, or how out of control it feels, or how messy it seems, we're invited to find peace not in that everything's going to be just as we want it to be, but in the expectation that God is with us and that God will provide. As we prayed earlier, we remembered Arnold Jors. Some of you may have known Arnold, a member of this congregation. Some of you may have known, known him from uh, business with Jors uh, flooring and carpet. I remember a conversation with Arnold not too long I, after I came to serve at Clay Church. I marveled. He was in his 90s and was still playing golf. Um, not only was he still playing golf, but I remember at, at some point, I couldn't remember if it was right after I got here, if it was just before that, like he was, he was shooting under his age playing golf, which I guess if you're a really good golfer and you live long enough, it makes it easier maybe. I don't know. Arnold was in the Air Force in World War II. Uh, he was stationed in Italy. He flew, was one of the first to f- fly the B-17 bomber. When he returned from the war, he got a business degree, started working. I just remember visiting, he was sharing his story. And like to know Arnold, if any of you knew Arnold today, it, it was just this life of success. His businesses were successful. He was an entrepreneur. But to talk to Arnold, he kind of came to realize that it wasn't like life was always just success, that he started, you know, building businesses and it was all just good. There were some tough times early in life, a business venture that didn't go as planned, a move back to South Bend when uh, the life that they were hoping to build in New Orleans didn't work out, a, a car crash, a family accident were all part of Arnold's story. And I remembered Arnold sharing with me, and one of the first times we were visiting and just sharing about life, he was always so upbeat, and I think I probably asked him something about, you know, where does that spirit come from? He's like, it's just knowing that I'm blessed by God and that, that God's provided everything I need. Day by day, that's how Arnold lived his life, just content that God would provide and meet his needs. It's what kept him going through the good times, certainly, but even through the most difficult times. It struck me, as I was getting ready to share with the family yesterday, and as I heard their stories about 
kind of that always focusing on, on God at work and tomorrow and that, that God will provide for tomorrow and there's more to be done and, and God has more in it for us. As I, as I thought about that, it struck me, I think how easy it can be to lose sight of God's provision for us in times of, in times of plenty or times of success. Like when we have food on our tables and, and when, when our basic needs are met, I think it can be really easy to, to lose sight that God is there to provide for us in each and every moment. I don't think that Arnold ever did, and I think that's why those who knew Arnold know he never knew a stranger, and, and he approached conflict and struggle in life with such grace and, and courage and dignity and kindness. I think it came from knowing that God would provide in the tough times. And I think it came from his dedication sort of knowing this provision of God to make sure that the church could be that provision for the world. The last couple times I visited him, the last time he was in hospice care, Arnold was really worried about his gift to Clay Church. It's like, I don't think anybody's made it yet. And I was like, uh, when, you know, his family's yelling from the other room, it's in the word, like it's, it's happening. But he's like, I don't know that it's made yet. And I said, Arnold, I'm, we're not, you know, I'm not counting your gift on, you know, the, don't worry about that. But he was worried because he wanted to make sure the church would provide. When he was in better health, when he'd come to worship every so often, he pulled me aside. Um, he, he wasn't particularly social and out there greeting everybody, but he pulled me aside over here and he'd just say, How, you know, what do you need right now to provide for the needs of the church? Because I want to I help make that happen. He knew God's provision and he wanted others to know it and he wanted the church to be able to meet those needs of the world so people would know that God provides. I think we've talked about this in, in worship. We talk about this in our families. I think we're, we're searching right now in the world for peace, aren't we? I know some of you are searching for peace in your lives and, and peace in your, in your families. We're searching for, for peace in our country. We're searching for peace in our our world. And I wonder if what happens is when, when things don't sort of fit into a mold of what we expect or, or into the mold of what we want or in, in the way that we think peace looks like, I wonder if that's when we, we find that it, it's just hard to, hard to maneuver in the world. It, it feels like things are out of control. It feels like there isn't any peace when things don't go the way we want them to, right? When relationships are broken and we, we can't seem to fix them ourselves. When life just seems to be falling apart, it's so easy to think that peace isn't possible or that maybe peace just isn't attainable for me in life right now. And yet today, today we visit Bethlehem. And we hear this invitation to find peace, not in everything working out just like we intend it to. Peace not in everything exactly as we expect it to be. But an invitation to find peace 
and the promise that God is with us and that God will provide. Perhaps we need to hear today that the peace we seek won't be found in the world meeting our expectations, but in our expectation of God providing what we need to face the moment with hope and peace in our hearts. At some point this week, chances are you'll sing or hear the words of O Little Town of Bethlehem. It was written by a pastor years ago who went over to actually experience Christmas in Bethlehem. He was riding on horseback from Jerusalem to Bethlehem, and he penned these words, O little town of Bethlehem, how still we see thee lie. Above thy deep and dreamless sleep the silent stars go by. Yet in thy dark streets shineth the everlasting light. The hopes and fears of all the years are met in thee tonight. May we visit Bethlehem together this week. May we bring our hopes and our fears. And in the stillness there, in the stillness we may just need to take in our own lives for a minute or five or ten to be in God's presence. May we just share a prayer with God that thanks God for the blessings, that pays attention to how God provides and has met our needs in the past and put our trust and find our peace and the promise that God is with us now and that God will provide. Amen.